Leafs Nation, welcome to the Fanside Network's home for Leafs talk. Tip of the Tower is proud to present the TOT Cast Leafs Edition with your hosts, Chris O'Cranitz and David Morissuti. Fancast. Uh, Chris O'Kranitz is getting the week off, uh, so you got me, David Morissuti, doing the uh, the hosting today. But luckily, I got Jake Middleton here as my co-host for today. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Dave. How are you doing? Not too bad. So I heard you were uh, enjoying yourself at the Copa America final. I was. I was uh, lucky enough that my company does some sponsorship work for them and got some parking pass and tickets. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the closest thing you can get to the Euro Cup right now, especially in uh, in North America. Uh, that that was probably the worst way that a game could end, especially for Lionel Messi. And all of Argentina, considering it looks like half of their top talent is retiring. Oh, God, definitely. But let's get us back to hockey talk. The Leafs made some interesting moves. One particularly in uh, before the draft, acquiring Frederick Anderson from the Anaheim Ducks and then signing to a five-year, $25 million contract. Now, Jake, I know you want to get a little credit of uh, guaranteeing the Leafs are going to get Anderson, so I'm going to give you a minute there just to kind of bask in your glory there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just it just made too much sense uh, from my point of view. I just looked at it as this is a young team and they're trying to get a goaltender that's around the age of of what their young core is going to be and they can grow up together and it just made too much sense i mean looking at the goalies available uh ben bishop mark andre fleury brian elliott it just it didn't make sense in terms of an age thing and i thought anderson was the perfect fit for them uh they gave up a little more than i thought but in the end i thought it was a good deal for both teams and looks like he will be the starter moving forward yeah now I guess the Leafs were kind of in a bidding war there against Calgary because Calgary was the other rumored team, and I guess the Leafs kind of swinged the pot by giving that first-round pick that Calgary wouldn't give up. But uh, the contract is interesting because now you have two goalies signed in Anderson, and you got Jonathan Bernier signed until the end of net. So going into next season, so you'll have two goalies signed for just over $9 million. What do you think this means for Jonathan Bernier's future? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not good for him long term. I don't see how any way he gets a long term deal with the Leafs. No, but I I don't know if if the way he played last year overall, it didn't give him any anybody that would give up something of value to trade for him in a deal. So I think he stays here next year, but he's he's not going to get resigned and will be a UFA uh, come a year from now. Yes, yeah. See, I, I, the th- the tough part here is that yeah. The Leafs probably want to move him, but considering the goalie market and not many teams are looking for him, you probably could see him back this season. It's going to be tougher to expect him to be okay with being the backup. I mean, he didn't have a great season, but uh, he probably would like the chance to move uh, move along and try to find something where he can at least get more starts. I mean, I think they're going to give Anderson at least, judging by his past season's work, maybe 60 games is what we're looking at, maybe as a starter, probably a little more. And that probably leaves Bernie with about, let's say, 15 to 20 starts. Not something you want to do, especially with your uh, going into the UFA. You want to definitely have uh, some some games under your belt. That way you can market yourself. So... If there was a team that the Leafs could potentially trade Bernier to, do you have any sort of idea of who they who could be interested? That's a tough one. I mean, looking around the league, there's obviously a, a bunch of goaltenders that are going to be available, and and I think there's going to be a better one that's going to be available for around the same money in in James Reimer. I mean, if I had to look at a team that would that would need a goaltender, I mean. It's really tough. I guess, you know, maybe a team like Columbus, if they can get out of that Bobrovsky deal, or a team like Dallas might be interested. But, I mean, outside of that, it, there's generally very few teams that, that have goaltending needs. Maybe maybe in Arizona, if uh, with Louis Domingue, they might want an established guy behind him. Uh, I'm not really sure. But those are the only three teams that, that stand out for me that have uh, define goalie holes in their roster. Yeah, I, I, 
that that's probably the biggest problem, especially because Calgary went out and they made the trade for Brian Elledge from St. Louis. So it looks like they're also out of the market for James Ryman. I mean, some are saying that Ryman could also go in, but he also is looking for the same opportunity as a starter. So Frederick Anderson will come in here as the number one goalie. If we're looking at a projected wins total, what would be your over-under going into the season for Frederick Anderson? What's your projected total for him? For wins? Yeah. Uh, I think if he makes 65 starts, I would predict his, he would get somewhere around 30 wins maybe. Maybe about 30, 30 and 20 and 5, something around there. Okay. Yeah, see, for me, it's 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 tough because, you know, you don't know how exactly this Leafs team will be fit going into next season but if he steals games like the Leafs haven't had him in goalie steal him games in the last few years I would say yeah you're getting close to the 30 mark for him let's say they were able to move Bernier would you be comfortable with Garrett Sparks as the backup Oof, that's a tough one I, I personally wouldn't I, I would want a goaltender back whether there's one in free agency that that's palatable I mean even a journeyman just to, just to hold a guy's place for a little while would be good for me, but I personally wouldn't. I'd want a goaltender in return or at least a, a backup plan. I mean, I think it, it puzzled me that they even signed back Garrett Sparks, but, I mean, for a team that's got no goaltending, you can't be picky when there isn't much out there. So, I mean, I I probably wouldn't unless a goaltender came back in the deal, so no. Well, see, yeah, they gave so they gave Garrett Sparks a qualifying offer. We'll talk about more of the players that got qualifying offers, but I think for Sparks is he's probably better off going back to the Marlies. Hopefully, getting a good chunk of games. I mean, he missed time with injury, and he also was with the Leafs last season. But if you're looking at, I'm just looking at the free agent market right now and going into next season. So Vancouver will be losing, most likely be losing Ryan Miller after next year. I don't know if he's going to be resigning there. Philly has actually got a decision to make with Steve Mason. He's at, His contract is up as well. Winnipeg is going to be without, I mean, they just resigned Michael Hutchinson, but Andre Pavlik is a pending UFA. Calgary will, have to do, will probably be getting a contract concession for Brian Elliott. And then, you know, the, after that, there's not many teams that have a need for goalie. I mean, if I'm looking at teams that could need a goalie, uh, Philadelphia would be kind of one if Mason and both uh, him and Michael Norworth are going to be UFAs. But, yeah, I mean, for me, Bernie would probably be better off sticking around in Toronto. For the, I know we probably want to get that cap hit out of here, but I probably see him as the backup going into the season. As you were pointing to, Sparks is probably not the best option going into next season. Didn't look like he was really ready for any full time duty, whether as a backup or even as a one B starter. But even when you get a goal with Anderson, there's probably not going to be a one B starter with this team. So, Leafs goaltending is most likely. Resolved. We don't really have any issues going forward with that. But we do have some issues going forward with some of these qualifying offers because we were looking at the contract list before we started the podcast. The Leafs have many contracts that are assigned for next season. Some are not ideal for the cap, and some are not ideal because of roster spaces. So looking at the contracts for next season, if you're the Leafs and you could choose... Let's say three contracts, three to four contracts that you wish you can get rid of. Which players would that be? Just they escape in the thin air? Escape within thin air, just like the probably the Dion Phaneuf and David Clark. That's pretty easy. I mean, obviously Joffrey Lupel, that's one. Uh, second would be Brooks-like, and the third would probably be uh, either Colin Greening or Nathan Horton. I mean, I know Nathan Horton. Uh, is just getting paid off off the record and and is on LTIR, but I'd preferably not want to have management paying him uh, oh, close to five million dollars a year just to just to sit around and do nothing. I mean, yeah, I mean, if looking here, I mean, it's really hot, t- tough to see Joffrey Lupo getting moved unless the Leafs give up something in return to make the deal a little bit better or even eat up some of his salary uh looking at brooks like i mean brooks like's contract is up after next season so 
you you could probably convince the team to t if we take some salary maybe to take him along. I mean, but he is a good veteran presence in the locker room, but at 4.5 million on the cap, I don't think it's worth keeping him around. Uh, Colin Green could get demoted to the AHL just so we can save some off the cap. He's at 2.65 million, so it wouldn't be too much of a hit if he gets moved down. There was talks about bringing back P uh, PA Parento. I know the Leafs apparently were kicking tires on doing a contract extension with him. But looking at players that are not signed, so we're looking at the RFAs. Uh, we got a list of players that were given qualifying offers and some that weren't. Uh, who out of those qualifying offers? So maybe we'll just go through that list right now. So we have Garrett Sparks, Josh Levo, Connor Carrick, uh, let me see who else. Martin Marinson, Martin Marinson, and Frankie Corrado. Am I missing anyone from the qualifying offers? I think that's who they were given to. Yes. Who out of those players were you surprised to get a qualifying offer? Uh, I was. I was actually pretty shocked that they gave Garrett Sparks a qualifying offer based on how he finished last year. Um, I didn't think he deserved one. Uh, I was also shocked that Frank Corrado got one based off of how little he played and how he's essentially not going to play next year, considering he didn't play last year and they had almost no defensemen. I mean, I, I was shocked at that one. Um, I mean, I thought they made a, a good thing by not not uh, retaining Colin... Colin, what's the guy there? Colin, Colin Smith. Smith. Colin yeah, Smith. The guy they got from San Jose. Yeah, and Stuart Percy. I mean, those guys have have no future with this team and also they didn't qualify Sam Carrick, correct? Uh correct. They did not go give Sam So Carrick those money. were three three uh automatics and I guess they see potential in those guys moving forward. I mean I don't know how much money they would make, but I mean and also also qualifying Peter Holland didn't really make sense to me. I mean I thought it was clear at the end of last year that Mike Babcock really had no faith in him as a player, and I just didn't see any space for him anyway, especially with all the added centers that this team could have and players like Steven Stamkos and already having Austin Matthews in the fold. I didn't see a fit for him. We'll see now. I The only reason why I see Peter Hollins is they're probably going to move him to the wing. I mean, they as you said, they have centers who are way better than him. Um I guess maybe they just keep him around maybe because they didn't want to lose him for nothing. Maybe they see something in him maybe as a trade asset or just as a depth guy who can play on the fourth line. But, I mean, I wasn't too too surprised about Peter Hong getting a qualifying offer. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think Babcock was hard on him. I think he, they thought he had a little more potential in the lineup and he just didn't prove it. He got off to a rough start, didn't really get much ice time, so... He, his future is probably in question. Uh, Stuart Percy, you mentioned. I'm not surprised that they let him go. I mean, it, that 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 whole draft where him and Tyler Biggs were selected in that first round just left a bad taste, probably the management's mouth, especially when uh, Biggs got traded for basically nothing. And then Stuart Percy has been dealing with injuries. His development has not gone to what they wanted it to be. So I think just better to cut bait there, as you said. But... You're looking at all these RFAs. There's not really a name that, other than maybe Connor Carrick, that could have an impact on this team. Like, Josh Levo could have an impact, but not a considerable one. So I, I think that you could also see that they're retaining these players, some of these players, just to move them out to make contract space if something better comes along. I mean, we saw that at training camp where they made the five-for-one swap with the, the Islanders to get Michael Grabner. I could see them doing something like that again. Do you think that's something that the Leafs will probably entertain? Um, I mean, maybe it's it's obviously a, a tough thing to look at because based on my math, they have potentially 40, 45 contracts locked up when they sign the draft picks that are eligible to get signed and Austin Matthews. That's that's 45. And I don't see many guys that they have no use for that are under contract. I mean, outside of the guys that they extended, I don't think it would be it would be uh, worth it to send out guys. I mean, the guys that they sent out last year had no future with the team. I mean, exactly. Like I don't. The thing that I don't even remember half of their names. Well, let's see. I could probably name name most of them. So you had Christopher Gibson, 
Matt Finn was the only Matt one. Matt Finn was the other one. Um, there was, I think, one of the Ruperts. Uh, there was the guy who they, who was playing in the OHL. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, oh, name's not coming to me right now, but I'll get it later. Yeah, so like those. No, uh, Carter Verhage. Ver- Verhage, that's the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah. So like these guys were not showing true potential as as prospects. They were kind of lower level prospects. I was there was like a lot of people who were like sad to see prospects go for a guy who who is a expiring UFA. But I think people need to realize that. When you only get fifty contracts, you need to make do with uh, with uh, what you got. So that's I, I, again, I as you probably mentioned, there's probably not a player that you're dying to get rid of. Um, but they're gonna have to make contract space somehow, especially if they want to go after some free agents. So looking at the draft, we'll look at the draft first before we get to free agency. But the Leafs kind of had an easy, easier. I think easier time with this draft because there wasn't any urgency with for this draft. I mean, you had Austin Matthews with the first overall pick, but then after that, you're looking at this draft and it doesn't look like anyone on this draft has an immediate impact. That was kind of the sense that everyone got from this draft. What did you get from this draft and seeing what the Leafs did? Uh, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, I thought their whole ideas on what they wanted to do with this draft was a lot different than last year. I mean, going to last year, obviously, they were terrible. Their organizational depth was horrendous. I mean, they had no talent outside of William Nylander, and they just had to build up that talent base. And so what they did last year was just basically select best player best best player available every time they went to draft. And they got really small guys like Dimitro Timoshov, uh, Jeremy Bracco, Martin Sturkles, um, Travis Dermott, who's undersized, and obviously Mitch Marner. But, I mean, it, it was it was apparent that those were the best players available. And, and people were just wondering, hey, I mean, you can't have all these small guys playing and have uh, no big guys surrounding them. So what they did was, outside of the obvious Austin Matthews pick, uh, they went out and got some guys who have some interesting potential but the thing that is apparent is they're all really big men and what one thing that they all are really good at is outside of being really big is that they can skate I mean of the guys that they drafted I mean James Greenway the defenseman from the US development team that's playing for Wisconsin next year he's a big man he's about 6'5 almost 230 pounds and he can skate like the wind but he's he's inconsistent as well um I thought the the Yegor Korshkov pick right off the bat. I was looking at my computer like, who the heck's this guy? And then when you do a little more digging, you notice that he was the leading scorer on the on the Russian team that that got silver at the World Juniors. And you watch him and how he uses his body. He reminds me a lot of a Valerie Nachushkin. Okay. And that they they have inconsistent hands, but they're incredible skaters and they use their body to their advantage a lot. I watched some of his tape from the World Juniors, and he was very impressive. I mean, uh, Carl Grundstrom in the second round was not not the biggest guy, but he's a player that reminds you a lot of like a, a Nikolai Kuhlman, of a guy that's that's going to really annoy you. And he's a he's a grinder, and he can also pitch in offensively. I thought that was a nice pick. And then they just picked a lot of overagers so they can get guys to fit in with the Marlies, so they can continue to have that young team and just fill holes in their organizational depth. I mean, obviously, going into next year, they're going to graduate, by my count, up to se- up to seven or eight prospects from the Marlies and beyond up to the Leafs. I mean, you're going to lose half your forward group in Zach Hyman, Soshnikov, Levo, Brown, and Nylander. That's five forwards. As well as Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and, and Zaitsev, those guys are going to graduate with them. So you've also got to fill out your lower-level team so there's no drop-off there because the thing that Kyle Dubas has been stretching the whole time is that he wants the minors to be a developmental league, like what it is in baseball. I mean, AAA and AA in baseball are, are generally filled with, with lower-level guys and you got some older veterans in there, but the main point is... You want to use them not just to win games with older guys. You want them to win with younger guys. So, I mean, I expect them to have the youngest team in the AHL again. And, I mean, they're not going to be as dominant last year because that's pretty hard uh, to live up to. But I think they should still be pretty good going into next year. 
Well, yeah, let's talk about some of these overagers that they picked. Uh, one guy that kind of caught my eye was Adam Brooks. Uh, he was he was passed up in last year's draft. I think he was also passed up in the draft before that, and he was finally selected by the Leafs this year. He he had a really good season with the Regina Pats. He had 120 points in 72 games, although he was an overager, so some people thought it would have been nice if he did that before. But what really stuck out to me was 23 points in 12 playoff games. Uh, the WHL playoffs seem to be a really, really tough playoffs to go through. The WHL teams seem to be uh, pretty good competition. So I, I kind of like this, uh, getting a guy like this who's, who's proven although he hasn't he hasn't proven it before in the past that he can play in higher level situations that was something that the Marlies struggled with this year where they had a really great regular season but when it came to the playoffs didn't really meet the level of expectation that was brought upon them so like I see a guy like Adam Brooks that can step in next year and add to that Um, but what do you think of the other overager guys that they picked up who do you think will be with the Marlies next season what do you where do you think they're potential is going to be on this roster um i mean just just from looking at it some of the overages that they they picked would be uh adam brooks obviously uh yigar korshkov jack walker and vladimir bubble Bobolyov. i'll still get that name wrong well but get that name wrong. <laughs> yeah but i mean it was uh notable that Bobolyov and walker were both on the same victoria team in the dub so i mean I think I believe one of them is overage, and I believe that one is uh, is Jack Walker. I think he was uh, he was. They said during the draft that he was at the Minnesota Wild development camp and was expected to sign there before he got drafted by the Leafs. So he should step in in the AHL. He had a pretty good year, by my counts. He had a hundred points in eighty five games, including playoffs. So, I mean, he he's a player who should. You know, either be with the Orlando Solar Bears in the ECHL and probably work his way up to the Marlies in the AHL. See, that's probably a, a fact that people don't consider. I mean, you looking at the Marlies, this team is going to have a lot of, a lot of good talent, but obviously you're not going to be able to play them all regularly. And I think that's part of the why they're making that relationship down the ECHL with the Orlando uh, Solar Bears because they're these players are going to need to play together. But they want to keep a good group of guys together in the AHL. But having this development league in the ECHL is, I think, also important for that. Um, we did see when uh, when the Marlies ran into some goalie troubles, they brought up a couple of ECHL goalies to fill in the void, and they did pretty well. Some people kind of get this wrong idea of what the ECHL is supposed to be like. I thought now having this relationship is going to really help uh, the Marlies, especially with the lack of space that you have to develop all these prospects with. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that people usually think of the ECHL is that if you ever go down there, I mean, your your career is pretty much done. Uh, I mean, I think the very uh, unknown thing about the ECHL is that a lot of really good goalies have come out of there. I mean, as you know, there's only four spots uh, for goalies, you know, two in the AHL and two in the NHL. So you got to play somehow. I'd rather play in the ECHL than just sit on sit on the bench in the AHL. So that just gives you the opportunity to roll with six goalies in your organization, which the Leafs are probably going to have to do, considering you know how little talent they have in the goaltending department outside of the NHL level. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see a goalie. You know, uh, like Bebo or Sparks go down there if they can uh, add an AHL goalie or a younger goalie throughout the summer. So, I mean, it's definitely not a death sentence going down there. It's a place where players get out uh, and play some games. I mean, there were, I think, up to 16 ECHL players that played with the Marlins last year, which is an astounding number. But, I mean, considering how influx the, the roster was, for the Marlies, considering how many players were called up to the Leafs, it's obviously an important part of the entire organization as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably a big thing. Uh, the Leafs had a lot of draft picks at this draft. I mean, and they'll have a lot of draft picks going into the into the 2017 draft. But looking at this draft, I mean, everyone was kind of, you know, waiting for that moment where they picked Austin Matthews. But... There was some drama after that Austin Matthews pick. I thought we could talk about it. There was uh, the obvious 
thing with Winnipeg picking Patrick Laine second overall, but the Columbus Blue Jackets kind of went went a little bit of a surprise, not picking uh, Jesse Pugliarvi with the third overall pick, going with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois instead, which really, really surprised me given that Jarl Kikalainen being a Finnish general manager w- would have probably liked to go with the Finnish player, but what did you think of uh, some of the picks that were made after Austin Matthews? Was there, other than the Pugliarvi one, was there one that really surprised you? Um... Not really. I mean, in the first round, I thought it pretty much went uh, the way it was supposed to. I thought a couple interesting picks were were the Sabres taking William Nylander. I mean, or sorry, Alex Nylander. I thought that was an interesting pick. I thought Sergachev was a perfect player for them. They they didn't really have many defensemen. I mean, they were lucky enough to get Dmitry Kulokov, who's a nice player, but um, I thought that was a that was a questionable move, but it should make the rivalry that much more exciting moving forward. But I really liked the pick that Montreal had getting Sergachev. I thought that was an excellent pick by them. Um, outside of that, I mean, it pretty much went the way I thought it would. I mean, there was one team that took a insane uh, in prospect insanely high. I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh it was late in the first round. I think it was like 26 or something. Uh, let's see here. Um, would you, was it probably 20, let's say 25 down? Would that yeah. Be? Okay, so let's look at this. So Dallas picked uh, Riley Tooft. Oh, it was it was Florida taking Henrik uh, Borgstrom. Oh, okay, so I, Henrik Borgstrom from Florida. Yeah, I heard he was supposed to go like in the third or fourth round, and they took him at 23. I mean, that's having some insane amount of faith in your – in your scouting staff, especially your Finnish uh, guys, so that was that was definitely a, uh, an interesting pick. Also, I thought I thought Phoenix did an incredible job in the draft. I thought the Flyers did incredibly well. Same with same with Detroit getting getting able to move down four picks, add a second round pick, and getting rid of Pavel Datsuk's contract without giving up a, a prospect or a pick was incredible. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about because before even uh, Arizona made that deal with Detroit, Ottawa made a really surprising deal to move up one spot to get Logan Brown. Uh, so they traded spots with the New Jersey Devils and gave a third-round pick in the process. I found that really, really interesting because, I, I, I mean, unless the Devils were putting a ransom saying, if you don't trade up to get trade up with us we're gonna take logan brown instead because ottawa's been uh they've been caught showing their hand a little bit early in the draft i mean we saw that with uh the least picking kadri when ottawa wanted him so were you really surprised that ottawa went up one spot and gave up that third pick third third round pick just so they can get logan brown over michael mcleod uh i mean i thought it was i thought it was pretty good i mean i thought it was it was decent i mean if I remember, it wasn't there a team that that moved up to go up one pick, gave up a second? Wasn't it at Winnipeg to get Logan Stanley? They gave up a second, no? Yeah, I believe they also went up too. Um, a lot of people like that move because uh, Winnipeg really likes these big defensemen, and Logan Stanley is a tower of a defenseman. So that that also, I mean, the the Ottawa surprised me a little bit more just because they moved up one spot and. I mean, you probably I don't know if it was just because they there was a, they were afraid that New Jersey was going to move that pick somewhere else and then somebody else was going to get Logan Brown. That's why I was surprised about it, but um the other one as you were saying that surprised me too was the Arizona one. I mean, Arizona we know that their their salary situation is that they they'll usually pay players not not to play now now that they have a Chris Pronger and Pavel Datsyuk on the books, probably the best contracts to have off the books and not play. Rather, you probably want them to play. Um, did you Did you like, I mean, obviously you've been kind of a Jacob Chicker and you haven't been a, a big fan of his, but do you think Arizona going at my 16 was a good move? I, I think it's worth the risk, but I mean, just to go off that, one thing I did agree with with Jacob Trickern was his suit. That was a really nice suit that he wore, the, the, the light blue one. I give him credit for that. But, I mean, you know, this is a, a guy that was scouts raved about him being a potential top five pick. And at 16, I mean, 
it's a it's a risk worth taking. I mean, he's he's an exceptional skater, and he's potentially potentially going to be a top four, top six defenseman. I just didn't see him as a top two defenseman or a franchise defenseman. But for pick number sixteen, it's it's a pretty good uh, pretty good chance to take on on a defenseman. So I, I liked that that deal by uh, by Arizona. Also not having to take him at seven and also getting Clayton Keller's an added coup. I think he's one of the best players in the draft. And I think he'll really surprise some people down the road. Mm -hmm. So now that trade was also interesting because Detroit now got rid of Pavel Dastik's contract, $7.5 million cap hit that, that probably makes them also in contention for Steven Stamkos. So we're going to shift over to the free agent talk because that's probably going to be the biggest story going into the free agent frenzy. I mean, it's probably the biggest, if, if I'm remembering from recent, I don't think there's a story any bigger than Steven Samuels in the free agent market in the time that I've ever seen watched free agency. How big do you think this story is going to get? Do you think a team like Detroit moving Pavel Dassey's contract makes them a front runner for Steven Samuels? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think this is by far the biggest free agency day in the modern era. I mean, the last elite superstar to hit the open market was arguably Zidane Chara or Marion Hossa back maybe five or ten years, five to ten years ago. I mean, it's got to be 06 when, when Chara signed with the signed with the Bruins, but I mean, that was a great deal and that turned to be worth it. I mean, he's a captain of a Stanley Cup champion team and also Marion Hossa. Got two, uh, three cups with Chicago now, so that worked for out for him as well. I mean, these players just they don't hit the market, and when they do, there's there's obviously going to be a lot of teams in the mix. I think Detroit is in his top five for sure. I mean, I think he's they're probably the biggest um, team that's going to go against the Leafs for his services. I really don't think he's re-signing in Tampa Bay. I think if if he wanted to sign with Tampa Bay, he would have done it earlier. And yeah. just to go this far, I just don't see any way he goes back with them. So, I mean, I think this is going to be a really really stressful week for Leafs fans, but a really exciting week as well. I, I just think it could be the biggest troll job if he doesn't sign on July first, because there's no guarantee that he is going to sign on July first. I know teams have been uh, probably calling since Saturday when the free agency window had opened. But it would be probably such a big troll job if he doesn't sign on July 1st. But uh, James Duffy from TSN reported that 12 to 15 teams had uh, made a call about for Steven Stamkos, probably to get an appointment. So we were kind of talking about this off before we started recording. Uh, we're going to run down the teams, and you tell me whether or not you think uh, the team called about Stamkos. We'll, go, we'll start at the top. Uh, so Anaheim, do you think Anaheim called about Stamkos? No, I don't. Okay, Arizona. No. Boston. Yes. Buffalo. Yes. Calgary. No. Carolina. No. Chicago. No. Yeah, thank God Chicago didn't call there. Uh, Colorado. No. Columbus. No. Dallas. No. Detroit. Well, yes. Well, we know that. Edmonton. Yes. Let's see, that's the surprise one. So Edmonton, um, wouldn't they be more concerned about getting a defenseman? Would it be an odd move going after Stankos? I mean, it'd be nice to get a guy like Stankos to kind of take the pressure off McDavid. Do you think that's a little curious that they would maybe make a call on Stankos that they may be interested? I'm probably the most avid hater of, of Edmonton. I, I made a claim uh, right before the draft that they wouldn't trade anybody and they will go into next season with the same team. I stand by that. I don't think they'll deal with any of their players. And obviously, I think it would be a terrible decision for him to sign there. I mean, I, I don't understand why they would even offer him a deal considering he doesn't play defense. And they have a bunch of high schoolers playing back there right now, basically. Yeah. So... I mean, obviously it's curious, but hey, they, they shoot for the moon. I don't even think they should get in a meeting with him personally, but I mean, you never know. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're looking here. Uh, Florida. Do you think Florida made a call? Yes. Uh, Los Angeles. No. Minnesota. Yes. 
Yeah, because that kind of, with them buying out Vanek, they probably have a little more room there. Montreal, Les Canadiens. Yes. Uh, oui. Oui. Uh, Nashville. Yes. Imagine Samco's going to Nashville. That would be a great place for him to sign, but I don't know how realistic it is for them wanting to shell out almost $11 million a year. Great city, though. Great city. Great city. Uh, New Jersey. Yes. Uh, the Islanders. Yes. The Rangers. Yes. I mean, the Rangers are pretty much in on every free agent, so that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, the Senators. No. Yeah, too rich for their blood. Uh, Philadelphia. No. Really? I, I thought... Which Phil- is rare. I'm going to say no. Because they have so many defensemen coming up, they got Cloud Drew. They're gonna have to pay these guys every now every now and then. So yeah. they just don't have the cap room right now. But it would be a great Philly move. Yeah, uh, I'm probably gonna we're probably gonna say no to Pittsburgh just because they're already tied up against the Correct. cap. Correct. Uh, San Jose. No. St. Louis. No. Uh, well, Tampa, we're saying they probably make a call. They probably try. They to- obviously have a meeting, but I do not think they are. Where he signs, no. The Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. I mean, they would just be a disservice to fans if they didn't make a call. Uh, the Canucks, we already know they're making a call because Jim Benning got fined $50,000 for saying so. So we're going to give them a yes on that one. That is basically burning money because they probably wouldn't even get a meeting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for more reasons than one. And then we got the Capitals. No. And the Jets. No. No. Okay, so... There's going to be an, there's a big list of suitors. Uh, if you had to name your top five, who would your top five be going after Stephen Samkos? In any particular order? In any particular order. It doesn't have to be like your consensus one to five, just five teams. Uh, the five teams that I think have the best chance at him are Toronto, Boston, Buffalo, New York Rangers, and Montreal Canadiens. And Detroit, if I left off Detroit. Yeah, Detroit would definitely be there because they made that trade with Dazzy for that reason. When it comes to the Leafs, the the Toronto media has been kind of split on whether or not Sam Post has been coming here. Some have stated that the Leafs would not show any interest, which I don't understand because they've been adamant about getting players from Ontario to come back home. Um, and when you get a player like Steven Samkos available, you're definitely making a call for him. If you're the Leafs, what's your top dollar to pay Steven Samkos to bring him here? I would pay him as much as Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, so ten and a half million per year. That's the highest I'm going. So your highest is ten and a half. What if they gave him eleven? I mean, obviously, if it would probably be a thing where you're matching something, but I would mm-hmm. eleven would be my absolute max. I would go. I wouldn't go anymore. If he wants eleven and a half, he can he can regret getting eleven and a half because Buffalo's the only team that can probably pay him that. And I think they're gonna offer him up to twelve and a half. Yeah. They're gonna offer him the max. Um they have they've shown that they're you know it's, the Pagulas are willing to spend money on their sports teams. Unfortunately their sports teams are the Bills and the Sabres. But um you know they made the push for Babcock. I, I just I found it funny that Tim Murray says that the one thing we can offer Steven Samkos is geography. Yeah. Uh, like that that kind of didn't make any sense to me because if you're you're talking about geography you're just trying to say we're we're like second fiddle to Toronto and if you're trying to compare the city of Buffalo to the city of Toronto unfortunately for for the city of Buffalo you can't you can't make that comparison although i i do respect their owner and their gm for making such a bold uh bold claim to wanting to pay him whatever it takes i mean i think i think they're in good hands down there with the with Terry Pagula Oh, yeah. I mean, that team has had some questionable moments. I mean, last year, Tim Murray, Murray wasn't exactly the, uh, I guess he was a sore loser when he, when they didn't win the Conor McDavid sweepstakes, but he's put some, he's put some good pieces together there. So I'm not going to totally bash him, but I mean, I, I don't think it's enough to bring Steven Samkos there. I mean, he's, he's going to be, want to be marketed as a superstar. I mean, he is one in Tampa. I mean, if you're looking at teams that will, where he'll, his, stock will rise i mean toronto is one of the montreal detroit new york those are the teams that i'm looking for that will make the big push for sam Coast. i mean montreal is a kind of a questionable one for me i don't know how much they're going to be willing to pay him when you've already got you know pk suba making a lot of money too and carrie price is going to be needing a new contract there soon so if i'm giving my top three it's new york the rangers it's detroit and it's toronto 
But but the thing is with the Rangers is they also have Rick Nash, and you said that they may try to trade him. Which I think I think he will be dealt. Yes. I, I and one team that some people have been mentioning is the Anaheim Ducks. Um, I don't see the Leafs as a suitor for Rick Nash. If he was a no. center, that would be a, con- a consideration. But I mean, his play's kind of declined a bit. So. I mean, unless the Rangers are able to move Rick Nash, I mean, it's that's going to be really tough for them to fit Sam Close under that cap. Uh, I mean, I, I expect them to move some of their higher-paying players like Rick Nash. I know that, uh, and all my Rangers fa- friends will back me up on this, they're horrible fans of, of Dan Girardi. Uh, I think he would be the first person that they'd attempt to get out of. He actually might even be bought out by the Rangers. Also on the block is, is guys like uh, Derek Stepan. Uh, which would be a weird move for me. I mean, obviously he's miscast in New York. He's they have him as a number one center, where he's more likely a, a number two. He, he's kind of like uh, Tyler Bozak in that respect. I mean, he's obviously a way better player than Bozak, but mm. he's miscast in his role. And I mean, if you're able to get back a defenseman like say a, a Cam Fowler or a Hampus Lindholm in the deal for, say, Rick Nash or Derek Stepan, I think that's that's a deal I would make every day of the week. I think the new GM for, for the New York Rangers, Jeff Gorton, is going to go out and try and rebuild with, not rebuild, but rebuild on the fly with some younger players while also retaining draft picks. I mean, they got some good scouts in the Rangers, but they unfortunately, they sadly don't get to use their picks at all, so I think they're going to try and retain their picks moving forward and try and get younger in the process. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the Leafs, Steven Santos will obviously be their top free agent target, but if you had to get a list of free agent targets for the Leafs that you think they're going to go after, who are your top picks? Um, for targets for the Leafs specifically, I'd yeah. say... Obviously, Steven Stamkos, and then you got Jimmy Feasy, but that's down the road. Uh, my top targets would be Brandon Peary of the uh, Anaheim Ducks. He's recently a UFA after not getting a qualifying offer from the Ducks, which makes sense. Jamie McGinn, who's also on the Ducks and was traded from the Sabres. Uh, Matt Martin of the New York Islanders. I think he, he's a player that reminds me a lot of, of Brian Boyle when he came out with the Rangers. And the Leafs also had interest in him, but he went to Tampa, as you know. And Dale Weiss is an, is another guy that I have a lot of interest in. He's a he's a big guy who can skate and he can also score, and he's a proven playoff performer. I think that would be a shrewd signing, but I don't know if he'd he'd have the stomach to go play for the Leafs after playing with the Chicago Blackhawks. But you never know. Yeah, I mean, see, I don't see the Leafs being big players on uh, big free agents that are kind of. I would say like average, like they're not like high quality players. I mean, the one area I think the Leafs could try to get to fit, you know, try to get a player is maybe on defense. There's some okay defensemen available. There's not nothing too great. I mean, some names that stick out are like Brian Campbell, Dan Ham Hughes, Jason Demers, and Chris Russell. But out of those names, there, I mean, the only ones I would consider maybe is Russell and Demers, because the the Leafs definitely are lacking defensemen that can play top four minutes. Because other than Riley and Gardner, I don't know who else they're going to be putting there. I mean, Zaitsev could play in the top four, but uh, at this point, we don't know exactly where he will slide in next season. Um, another area that I think the Leafs may look at also is like uh, a backup goalie. Uh, Jonas Enroth and Al Montoya are available as uh, backup goalies as well. So that's where I think the Leafs go with their free agency. I mean, I wrote an article about some storylines to follow and. The Jimmy BC one is really interesting for me because the great thing here is that the Leafs don't have to make really a big push for him until August. They probably have already kicked the tires now that he uh, he's no longer property of the Predators. He's property of the Sabres technically, but teams are allowed to talk to him since he's going to be a pending uh, UFA. And also it's important to point out that if the Sabres don't sign him by July 1st, he becomes an unrestricted free agency. Unrestricted free agent who cannot be signed until August 15th, I believe. Yeah, that's that's the date. Um, I found that trade quite... quite a, it seemed like a Buffalo move to trade for VC's rights. I mean, that was a great trade for Nashville because they knew they were going to... Oh, yeah, them. just getting something out of a, a 
a player that was more than likely not going to sign with them yeah. was an excellent deal for them. Um, Buffalo, I mean, the, the agent also came right out and said, I mean, because VC had no right well not to refuse to have, be traded, so I think the agent wanted to make it clear that this wasn't because the Sabres were doing contract negotiations. I think the Sabres wanted to kick tires early, but I, I, for me, I see the Leafs, the Sabres, and probably the Bruins as the top uh, suitors for him. I mean, yeah, I'd add New York to that list, but yeah, those those would be the, the top four for me. I mean, the easy thing here is that you can't. The only thing you can offer him is an opportunity. Yeah, it's because you know he, every team is going to give him the same contract. This is kind of reminds me of the Justin Salt Schultz deal, although. We all know how that ended up for Edmonton. So, I mean, VC, I haven't watched him play too much. Um, but, I mean, being a Hobie Baker winner makes him a little more marketable, too. Um, what do you think? If the Leafs were to get him, where are you slotting him next season? I mean, first off, I uh, being that I I uh, was with a Division One team and supported a Division One team in, in Quinnipiac, I, I've gotten to watch him play against us for four years and he's an incredible player and in my opinion based on how much money he's going to get and his potential impact he's the most valuable free agent on the free agent market in my opinion I mean he's he's big he's fast he's got good hands he's a great scorer too I mean he put up really good numbers in a very good conference in the ECAC in college hockey and obviously, he, he won the Hobie Baker this year, although he I don't think he deserved to win. I thought Kyle Connor should have won over him, but that's for that's for a different day. Um, I think he would slot in on the second line for the Leafs, right behind James Van Riemsdyk being a left winger. Mm-hmm. I think he, he should be guaranteed top six minutes because he's he would be instantly the, the second best uh, left winger on the whole team. So I, I think he's got the ability to come in, you know, potentially play playoff, uh, playoff power play time for the Leafs, and I think it would be a good situation for him. He'd potentially get to be on a line with, with either Nazem Kadri or Steven Stamkos or or even Austin Matthews. Yeah, I mean the Leafs definitely are looking to get as many players to give as much competition as possible. One trade that the Leafs made this was a total surprise because. We knew the Leafs kicked tires on this person before, and then John Shannon reported just as the draft was concluding that the Leafs and Columbus were talking, and they acquired Kirby Reichel from the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they sent Scott Harrington and a conditional fifth-round pick for Kirby Reichel. Now, Reichel, just so we can get some background, he was very unhappy, let's just say that, with his situation in Columbus last year. Obviously, when you play with under coach like John Tortorella, you're not exactly going to be thrilled, but... He was rumored to be unhappy and wanted to get traded last season. The Leafs apparently were looking at trying to acquire him then, but they got him now. What do you? What are your thoughts on the trade for Kirby Reichel? I thought it was an incredible deal. I mean, it just add, further adds to that uh, Phil Kessel trade that's looking a lot better now, and mm-hmm. and being able to get, I believe, Joseph Wall with Kasperi Kapanen, Kirby Reichel, and. Frederick Anderson, which looks like a masterful deal now. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, it's the gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> Dave. Um, but I mean, I was a huge fan of the deal. I mean, they gave up a player that had no future with the Leafs. Uh, if we, he was going to be a qualifying, uh, if he was going to get a qualifying offer, I wouldn't have even offered him a deal. I mean, I don't see any way he, he has a future with this team moving forward. But I mean, watching him. Uh, in juniors, he obviously is a great player. I mean, he, he had a lot of sandpaper, and he, he put up some goals, too. I believe he had almost 50 goals in a season with Windsor and his dad. Uh, I mean, also, being that he's a Toronto kid, an Ontario guy, that's big. Getting that should make Don Cherry happy after uh, after the debacle that happened with the draft this past weekend for him. <laughs> and yeah, getting a former Leafs son is pretty cool. But, I mean, getting a kid that obviously has some talent and, you know, I think he just had concerns about wanting to play. I think this is the, this is the right place for him to play uh, because we obviously have room on the wings for him where I think he can play third line, third line wing with, you know, maybe, maybe a Kadri or a Bozak depending on how the free agency ends up. But I, I thought it was a, it was a 
low risk, high reward move for them. And I mean, I think it should work out. The one thing I liked about this deal is that the Leafs made it a point to get players with a lot of skill, but they lacked size. They lacked that, uh, I guess, that competitive drive, the grit. I mean, they went and got a player like Tobias Lindbergh, who's a bigger body player. I think this kind of brings in this t different type of player that the Leafs have been lacking. This is why I like the Reichel trade. And the other thing is that there's not going to be as much pressure on him coming to the Leafs. You have so many other players that are going to be playing ahead of him. He can just play his game the way, you know, well, there's going to be a way that that the coaching staff will want him to play, but he'll at least get to play with less pressure than he probably did in Columbus. I think well, being a first-round pick has its set of uh, expectations, but Columbus has not exactly been a kind organization to some of their players. So I think this is going to be a really good opportunity for him to uh, get a fresh start and play the game that he wants. And that's a, by playing playing the body, being a greedy type of player. And he and as you mentioned, you know he's he had two 40-goal seasons uh, back in the OHL, so he does have that scoring ability. I just think maybe the way he was probably supposed to play kind of didn't uh, translate to the pros of the way he wanted to, but I think now coming to the Leafs, I think they'll try to bring back that goal-scoring element. It wouldn't surprise me, though. I mean, many are saying he's ready for the NHL, and he may be, but he also has options that he can go to the Marlies, and I think maybe he could start the year off there and then get moved up eventually just so that he's not thrown right into the fire and he's given some time just to... Because he hasn't really had that proper time to develop, I think that would be a good, a good fit for him just to start off with the Marlies. But it wouldn't surprise me either if he made leaps out of camp. It just depends on what they do in free agency and how much room they have on their roster. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you pay, if you were paying attention to the AHL playoffs, he he had a a really bad playoff. I mean, he got benched for some games, and I believe he had like like only six points in in uh, Lake Erie's run to the AHL. Uh, or Calder Cup final and winning it too, so he wasn't overly impressive in it. And I thought this is the only move that the team could have made was was shipping him out of town. And I mean, you don't know how a change of scenery helps him. I believe it it will because you know he's got one of the best coaches in, in the league now uh, giving him orders instead of Tortorella. So that's got to be nice for him. But I would fully expect him to not make the team out of camp. I mean, depending on how free agency shakes out with maybe VZ or Ocposo or Stamkos, um, there's probably going to be better players than him right away and guys that have gotten the opportunity to impress Mike uh, Babcock over the past couple months. So, I mean, we'll see, but you hope he comes into camp in really good shape and he comes in and battles in the prospect camp. He would be eligible for prospect camp, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe because he hasn't signed a, he signed a contract, he's not. But, I mean, obviously in the rookie rookie tournament, hopefully he plays well with guys like Marner and Matthews. And, and if he can build some chemistry there, it will help him going into September. But my expectations for him aren't that high. I mean, if he does, does make the NHL, great. If he only plays in the AHL and becomes a really good player, just as great because, I mean, Harrington wasn't really even playing with the Marlies. So. Well, he was injured this year. He, he's kind of like that, um, probably that Sewer Percy type of prospect where the expectations that he was going to be a top four defenseman, but he just, injuries and not having the right time to develop didn't really help his cause case. Um, but no, I, like there, this was a, this was a win-win. Like there was, there's no way the Leafs couldn't make this deal just because they have a lot of defensemen like Harrington that are not considered high-level defensemen or that are going to be really effective at the NHL level. I mean, he, you never know. He could turn his game around in Columbus, but I think, yeah, there was no way you couldn't make this deal to get your roster, give your roster a little more talent, a little more grit, uh, and get a guy who could have the explosiveness that Reichel had in the past. Now, looking into next season, the Leafs will have... The, now, Mike Babcock said that Austin Matthews will most likely start as a third-line center. And I kind of I kind of found that interesting because being the first overall pick, many are expecting him to at least be either 
behind Kadri, or at least being the second, well, most likely being the second line center. Did you find that interesting that Babcock came out and said, we expect him to play on the third line? Uh, no, I didn't find it that surprising based on how how they're just going out of their way to try and lower expectations on this kid. I mean, it made perfect sense to me. I mean, Lou, by saying he's not the savior and he's not the face of the franchise, the logo is. I mean, I, I thought it was a really good idea to, to kind of lower those expectations. So you're expecting something, you know, middle of the road, maybe 40 points. And if he exceeds it, great. If he, if he ha- struggles, then, you know, you, you weren't you weren't getting disappointed by the coaching staff at least but I mean obviously right away he's going to come into camp starting third line I don't expect that to stay the set that way the whole way through I expect him to work his way up and eventually be a first line center by the end of the year and I believe his play will show above any other centerman on this roster note I say on this roster <laughs> but you know it, it made perfect sense to me it was a it was a smart move by Babcock to say that I mean as the overdrive guys were saying he didn't say anything about him staying there the whole way so that's just his initial uh, first depth chart release of the summer mm-hmm. and we'll see how Matthews handles that hopefully he uses that as motivation and comes into camp uh, and kills it out of the out of the get-go yeah, I mean, it's it's a good way to at least ease a guy. I mean, Babcock hasn't. I mean, looking at the past of what Detroit's done, they've never thrown a prospect right into the fire. I mean, Dylan Larkin had a great start to the season, and then he kind of he 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 had a great season for Detroit, but it didn't. He hit a wall. He hit a wall at some point. So I think that's something they're a little worried with Matthews. They don't want him to hit a wall, and then his play, then his he changes his style of play just a compensate for that now looking at if, if he was on the third line who would be his line mates who would you put to play with Matthews I mean in this mythical dilemma I would obviously I'd put Mitch Marner with him I mean I think as Craig Button discussed it makes too much sense these guys are just perfect fits for each other I think Mitch Marner's a playmaking winger who can open space for guys and pass it off to guys with big shots I mean, I thought an interesting comparable he made was Christian Dvorak with Austin Matthews. They're both big-time shooters, and they're guys that when you give them open space, they're going to most likely put the puck in the back of the net. I think that would be an incredible tandem between those two. I mean, I know I got a lot of people who are telling me that it's, it's, it's a terrible idea to have two teenagers on the same line. But, I mean, I think it makes sense when they're two elite teenagers. But... If I had to, I'd probably play uh, a guy like maybe a Milan McCulloch with them, an older guy who can I kind of teach them how to be pros and, and walk them through the everyday everyday game. I think that would be a smart one. Also, maybe a Leo Komarov would be a nice guy to play with them. But I think they definitely should be playing with a veteran, whether that be Komarov, McCulloch, or James Van Riemsdyk. That makes the most sense. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention before we uh, end today was – the idea of offer sheets. I mean, we haven't seen an offer sheet signed. I think the last time an offer sheet was signed was when Shea Weber was offered, signed one with Philly, and then Nashville was forced to match. Now, a lot of GMs have come out and say that certain players will be basically be matched if they were given an offer sheet. Those players, I mean, <laughs> Jacob Truba, Kevin Sheffield, they all said that any offer sheet will match. Uh, Yarbo Kikalainen just came out and said that if someone wants to be silly and make us cost more money to get Seth Jones back, they'll match it. Do you think a, the Leafs or another team would potentially sign a player to an offer sheet? Not not because they want now they not just because they want the player, but maybe just to make the GM's life a little bit harder going forward. Do I think the Leafs would do that? The Leafs or any other or any other team really. That's that's tough. I mean, there's some really good players that are out there. Like, obviously, like you said, with Seth Jones and Jacob Truba. I mean, it it really depends. But I mean, there's no really big rivals with the Blue Jackets. Maybe a team like Edmonton, but that would be really risky for for them because obviously they're they're probably not going to finish with the best record. So I mean, that's definitely a risky proposition when you're a lower level team. 
I just don't see it. I think it's very rare, and it it gets a lot of uh, pushback, and people get their feelings hurt whenever you do that. So I can't see that happening. It would be very fun to watch it happen, though. But I I personally don't don't see it happening. No. See, this is my issue with the whole offer sheet thing. If if this is such a problem, with I don't know why it's legal. Why is it? Why is it? Ha- why is it there? Why like in the NBA? The NBA it happens too, where players get signed to offer sheets all the time. All the time. But in the NHL, it just seems. I guess because maybe it's just like the community of GMs. You know, not many GMs. Well, other, unless you're Brian Burke and uh, and Kevin Lowe. One, I know, beat each other up in a barn, but uh, I mean, why? Why would the NHL? I mean, obviously, maybe that's something just like in the CBA that the NHLPA wanted, just to make sure that players aren't getting uh, getting lowball because teams could definitely do that with RFA players. But I mean, why? Why exactly would the NHL want to have this potential issue where players getting signed to offer sheets will create a, create this problem with other GMs? I don't know. I mean, sometimes it. It works works uh, well for the team. I mean, with Edmonton signing Dustin Penner, I don't think they would redo that signing again, considering they gave up, I think it was a first, second, and a third. And I believe he had 25 goals once. Uh, I love it. I mean, I think it's a great thing. If you're in a cap crunch, go ahead. Use it as a tool to get a player loose. Like, it worked perfectly with, uh, with the Blackhawks losing Brandon Saad and... And uh, who was the other RFA last year that got dealt the big one? Uh, there were two, correct? Well, I remember after Chicago won the cup, the second I think the second time around, San Jose. Oh, Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, Dougie Hamilton was the other potential. I think the the issue was there was that Calgary said we'll offer sheet him if you don't trade him to us. So they have that against. I them. thought it was Edmonton that that did it, and in spite they traded him to Calgary for less. I think it was just that the the I, I can't remember the exact uh, exact thing, but I know that he wanted to leave and he wanted to leave Boston. I don't I don't remember hearing whether or not Edmonton, but I mean there was probably the threat of the offer sheet that made him send it. Just the threat of the offer sheet I think makes some teams nervous. Um, I mean what happened, what it did to Nashville was that it made them not made them decide between basically Shea Weber and Ryan, Ryan Suter. Suter. Yeah. That like like that's where I think you know a team like uh, well, I mean what I was hearing that Toronto may not even be able to sign an offer sheet because they don't have the picks to do it anymore because they gave up the first for Anderson and they gave up the third round as compensation for I think it was Babcock for, for and Babcock or Lamarillo, yeah and Lou Lamarillo so they wouldn't even be able to sign one from what I've heard uh, this year but. If you're a team and you uh, and you, like if you're a rival, let's say in a rival division with Winnipeg, why not sign Jacob Chuba to a offer sheet, make uh, make Winnipeg make Winnipeg match, and either deal him or deal another player, because they also need to sign Mark Shifley to a new contract. Yeah, I mean it's a strategic move. I think it, it makes sense. You put them in a tough spot and have them go out and sign somebody else. But I mean it. Apparently hurts people's feelings. So I, I think that's where GMs are gonna have to grow up a little bit. I think some GMs just feel like they're, I, I'd have no problem with it. Like, like I mean, how many times do you also see divisional rivals make big deals? Unless you're Ottawa trained for Gian Phaneuf, but uh, like you don't really see that. So I, I, I just don't see the problem. Problem with it. I thought it was an interesting thing because you don't see the offices done that much. I wish if they could get done more, a little more often, bring a little more excitement to free agency. But um, I guess NHL teams just uh, they just don't want to deal with the drama along with it. I guess not. I mean, hey, if somebody offers sheets a, a player, and I think a first, second, and a third is is worth that player, then go ahead and take the deal. I mean, doesn't make sense to me, but then again, I'm just a simple guy. <laughs> the the economics don't 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 make sense there, huh, Jake? No, they don't. Um, just ch- just checking out here. Uh, somebody just said that Steve Eisen said nothing new to report on the Steven Samkos front, so Samkos can become a free agent on Friday. So it looks like the Tampa Bay Lightning are out. not not very optimistic about what's going on there. Um, the Leafs. It will be really interesting to see what happens on Friday. It would be interesting to see the Leafs maybe going after another player. Instead of Samkos, hopefully, 
hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully the Leafs make the biggest push for Stamkos. I mean, that's exactly what Leafs fans have been wanting since the rumors. The rumors of Steven Stamkos liking a tweet about him going to Toronto uh, had happened. So hopefully, well, I mean, for for Canadians, they'll have the day off to, to be glued to their TVs to watch it. As the normal tradition, we'll wait a couple of hours for nothing to happen. Maybe, hopefully, something happens. That's what the I would not. I would not expect him to sign July one. Uh, I hear a lot of people think he will. I I just don't see it happening. I think he's gonna take a while. See, look, like the NHL did this five this this five day window to prevent that because they know that free agency brings in a lot of viewers, and for good reason. I mean, this year the, a lot of Canadian teams are. Anticipating to make some uh, splashes on free agency, so yeah, I mean, from what I'm hearing right now, I mean, it's two, you know, it's Tuesday where we're recording this. Free agency is not until Friday, so a lot could happen in the next couple of days. But I mean, the last time I think any big free agent like this, I mean, Brad Richards had a lot of decisions to make, and that that didn't happen for another at least couple of days after July first. This I, reminds me of the. Of the Zach Parisi Ryan Suter free agency, where they didn't, they waited until July third or July fourth, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that that, that drives, uh, you no, know, especially like here up in Canada, sports and TSN nuts because these these guys spend all day preparing, and then you get these little signings and nothing big to report on. I, exactly, I, do, I give them credit for filling out a whole uh, a whole show with with no no transactions basically happening. I mean, they just got the best best reporters and, and analysts out there. So, I mean, obviously, if it if it doesn't go past uh, July one, we're not going to have Bob McKenzie report on it. But I mean, which would be unfortunate. But yeah, Bob Bob said he's ready. He's ready to go on vacation as soon as July first is up. So, and he deserves that vacation as well. The guy's the hardest working man in in sports behind probably Adam Schefter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to be a good day. I think they'll be uh, they'll definitely fill it with something, but hopefully, it'll be something that the Leafs fans will like. Uh, I like to thank you again, Jake, for joining us today. I like to thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you want to listen to our show, you can listen to it on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Remind I want to remind you all to follow us on our Twitter page at Tip of the Tower and on our Facebook page at Tip of the Tower. If you have any questions or you want to reach us, you can reach Chris on Twitter at Chris O'Cranitz. You can reach me at D underscore Morissuti, and you can reach Jake on Twitter at, at Jake Middleton. If we don't talk, hear from you guys, uh, I want to wish all of our Canadian listeners a happy Canada Day and those down south a great uh, 4th of July. And hopefully the next time we talk, we'll have a certain free agent to talk about, someone with a little more... Uh, cachet. A little more cachet. Maybe a nice little 91 and a C on the front of that new Leafs jersey. That would be nice, huh? Oh, that Leafs jersey is very nice. Oh, Morgan Riley going live with the shot. Nylander. The Knights, Mitch Barner. 